This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmeyer, and welcome to episode 40 of Keep the Faith, my weekly podcast in which we explore contemporary issues through the prism of Jewish law and tradition. The number 40, by the way, is a big deal in biblical terms. After leaving Egypt, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai. He did that twice, in fact. He also lived to be 120, which is 40 times 3, and so 120 came to be considered the ideal lifespan. A common expression is, you should live to be 120. The biblical length of a generation is approximately 40 years. 40 is a big deal. But enough of that. As of Wednesday, shortly before noon, a new leader, maybe I should say a real leader, occupies the Oval Office. Within hours of taking the oath, President Joe Biden signed an executive order directing the federal government, quote, to listen to the science, to improve public health and protect our environment, to ensure access to clean air and water, to limit exposure to dangerous chemicals and pesticides, to hold polluters accountable, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, to bolster resilience to the impacts of climate change, to restore and expand our national treasures and monuments, and to prioritize both environmental justice and the creation of the well-paying union jobs necessary to deliver on these goals." He also moved to rejoin the Paris Climate Accords, The international effort the previous occupant of the Oval Office withdrew us from, an effort designed to stem the ravages of global warming. In other words, President Biden wasted no time in putting this nation back in the forefront of the battle to save our country and our planet from environmental destruction. Significantly, at least as far as the theme of these podcasts is concerned, He took these actions one week before we Jews celebrate the environment in a significant way. And so, the topic for this week is Judaism's mandate to protect and improve the environment. Next Thursday, whenever you pass a tree, wish it a happy new year. Seriously. Next Thursday is the 15th day of the month of Shabbat otherwise known as Tubishvat, the day our sages of blessed memory called the New Year for Trees. It's one of the minor festivals on the Jewish calendar, and considering what it's called, the New Year for Trees, it's also a day on which to consider our responsibilities to the trees and all of the rest of the natural world around us. Sadly, in his four years occupying space in the White House, Donald Trump did everything he could to take this country out of the environmental protection business, which means, among other things, that the trees haven't had a happy new year in four years. Global warming and climate change were dirty words to Trump and his sycophantic subordinates and congressional enablers. Rather than working to improve the environmental and ecological health of the United States, They loosened or eliminated regulations on the books that were meant to reduce air and water pollution in the United States. This included an attempt to impose lower national standards for fuel economy and greenhouse gas emissions. 
The United States is the world's second largest emitter of greenhouse gases, right behind China. More than 20% of those emissions here in the U.S. come from cars and light-duty trucks. So increasing fuel economy and lowering greenhouse gas emissions are considered essential to lessening the destructive effects of climate change. Trump also sought to rescind a waiver that had allowed the smog-stricken state of California to impose its own more stringent standards, a move California managed to keep bottled up in the federal courts. Trump even got the auto industry to join him in opposing California in the courts. But since last summer, meaning even before November's election, one automaker after another has reversed course and has come out in favor of the California standards. According to a Washington Post analysis this summer, Trump and his crowd managed to weaken or wipe out more than 125 rules and policies aimed at protecting the nation's air, water, and land, and had at least 40 more rollbacks of environmental regulations in the works. There's that number 40 again. One of the most dangerous efforts was the drive to ease requirements that were set to take effect in 2018 that would have forced coal plants to treat wastewater with more modern, effective methods. The goal of those requirements was to curb toxic metals such as arsenic and mercury from contaminating lakes, rivers, and streams near the facilities. When the original rule was announced in 2015, the Environmental Protection Agency estimated it would keep 1.4 billion pounds of pollutants out of U.S. waterways each year. But that didn't matter to Trump and company. They also weakened efficiency standards for such items as dishwashers and gave the green light to seismic drilling in an Alaska wildlife refuge. They also opened up more than 9.3 million acres to logging in Alaska's vast Tongass National Forest. According to the U.S. Forest Service, quote, the Tongass is the nation's largest national forest and covers most of southeast Alaska, and it offers unique chances to view eagles, bears, spawning salmon, and the breathtaking vistas of wild Alaska, unquote. Some of the trees in this rainforest are at least 1,000 years old. More to the point, though, the trees in the Tongass absorb more carbon than any other forest in the United States. Trump, however, gave loggers the right to cut them down. Consequences to air quality and wildlife be damned. President Biden, as his actions this week demonstrated, is determined to reverse all of this environmental mayhem. So trees deserve a happy new year, and it's our job to see that they have one, not just this year, but every year. That brings us to Judaism's take on all of this, some of which you may have heard in previous Keep the Faith podcasts, but it's worth listening to again, and it's worth taking seriously. Consider this. If we don't keep our tires properly inflated, if we don't keep to the speed limit on the highway, if we don't turn off all of the lights or turn down the heat or the air conditioning in our homes when we leave, if we don't recycle, if we don't do any of these things, we're violating Torah law. And bluntly stated, if we sit on our hands and do nothing when laws designed to protect the environment are under attack, 
as they were for the last four years, or if we don't actively support efforts to protect our natural world, we're also violating Torah law. Yes, the Torah was written before there were such things as tires or automobiles or stovetops or ovens or heaters or air conditioners or plastic bottles. Nevertheless, the Torah's laws deal with every one of these things and so much more where the environment is concerned. As I've noted in earlier podcasts, Torah laws ban water pollution, air pollution, and odor pollution, and it bans the needless destruction of anything that's useful to any living creature, human or otherwise. Above all, it made all of us humans responsible for carrying out those laws, and it made us, the Jewish people, responsible for teaching that to the rest of humanity. Who are we? What's our purpose for being? We're Am Yisrael, after all, the people Israel. We're the people who stood before Sinai and willingly accepted the task God gave us of teaching the world by our example how all people should live. We can't do that unless we follow all of God's moral and ethical laws, the environmental ones and the social justice ones. It means following those laws and hopefully by doing so, demonstrating to society at large that these laws are the prescription for creating a better world for all who live in it. God willing, we'll deal with the social justice aspects in a future podcast, probably in a couple of weeks. Today, we'll concentrate on the environment because of President Biden's actions this week, and because next Thursday is, in fact, Tu Bishvat, the New Year for Trees. The Torah tells us that God only began the work of creation. He then created human beings to take care of this world and to make what God called a very good world into an even better one. God made human beings the protectors of planet Earth, not its destroyers. The Torah makes clear in so many ways that protecting the environment, that protecting the ecological balance in nature, that protecting the rights of all living creatures, not just human beings, are all part of our mission as his Mamlechet Kohanim, the Goy Kadosh, his kingdom of priests and holy nation. And by our doing that, that's how we teach humanity that they also have to do that. When we dismiss environmental and ecological issues as not being our concern, when we turn a deaf ear to animal rights issues and turn our backs on protecting their natural habitats, when we totally disregard recycling rules, what we're really doing is rejecting God's Torah. We may call ourselves Jews. We may call ourselves Am Yisrael, the people of Israel. But if we ignore what it means to be Jews, then we're not acting as Jews. We eliminate our very purpose in being Am Yisrael, the people of Israel. When we ignore the needs of the poor, the rights of the underprivileged, the protection we owe to the alien in our midst, we're not acting like Jews. We're not acting the way a mamlechet kohenim the goy kadosh, a kingdom of priests and holy nation, is supposed to act. We're not doing the job God gave us. There's one big difference, though, between environmental issues and social justice issues that make environmental issues so important to the Torah. The environment can't protect itself. The Torah says as much in two verses found in Sefer Devarim in the book of Deuteronomy in the midst of a commandment relating to the rules of war. 
Some of you may have heard this before. Listen carefully to that commandment and the rhetorical question posed within it. Quote, In your war against the city, do not destroy its food-bearing trees, wielding the axe against them. For from them you will eat. Do not cut them down, for is the tree of the field a person that it can escape from you into the besieged town? Only that tree that you know is not one that gives food. That one you may destroy and cut down in order to construct your siege works. Unquote. Let's parse those two verses. First, there's that rhetorical question I mentioned. It forms the basis for this commandment. Is the tree of the field a person that it can defend itself from your attack? Trees can't defend themselves. But which of the trees that are to be protected? The first verse makes clear that the Torah is talking about trees that produce food for everyone and for every creature. Even if you need a battering ram to break down the gates of the town or ladders to scale its walls, it tells us, that's not a sufficient valid reason to destroy something that produces food. Then comes the second verse. If there is a sufficient valid reason to cut down trees, only the type of tree, quote, that you know is not one that gives food, that one you may destroy and cut down, unquote. That you know is not one that gives food. In other words, we have to know for certain. The absence of fruit itself proves nothing because it may not be the right season for that food. You have to be absolutely sure it never produces food at any time during the year. And even then, destruction is permissible only if there is a sufficient valid reason to do so. Otherwise, even that tree that never produces food may not be cut down. Now, verses such as these in the Torah aren't laws in themselves. They're chapter headings for a body of laws. You've heard me talk about this feature of Torah law in the past. These verses became the chapter heading for the body of law known as Baal Tashchit, which means do not destroy. Trees can't defend themselves, but neither can flowers and plants defend themselves. Oceans and seas, rivers and lakes and ponds can't defend themselves. Defending them is our job. That's what's really being said here. In fact, no inanimate life form can escape from us, and so they're all covered by this commandment. They're as much a part of God's creation as we are. They're to be protected, not rejected and destroyed. It follows, by the way, that if we must protect the inanimate life forms, we must also protect the animate ones, and not just humans. Simply put, Baal Tashchit, do not destroy, is a ban on the pointless and purposeless destruction of anything that's useful to living creatures of any kind, be they human, animal, avian, or aquatic, or even plants. Because of this verse, a rabbi named Zutra, nearly 2,000 years ago, declared as a matter of law that it was forbidden to burn any fuel too quickly, thereby using more fuel than necessary. And it didn't matter, he said, whether the fuel was plant-based and thus can be replenished, such as olive oil, or a fossil fuel that can't be replaced, such as naphtha, which is a volatile form of petroleum. Given Rob Zutra's ruling, today he surely would seek to ban gas-guzzling SUVs 
and prohibit speeding along highways because speeding causes more fuel to burn than necessary. The late British rabbi Louis Jacobs put it this way in one of his books, quote, It is clear that Judaism affirms without reservation that the world is God's creation and that whoever helps to preserve it is doing God's work, unquote. It follows that one who doesn't help to preserve God's creation is working to undo God's work. That brings us to the whole question of recycling. A 14th century rabbi, Aharon Halevi of Barcelona, and I've quoted him before, said that it's the way of the pious and they of good deeds. Those are his words. It's the way of the pious and they of good deeds to carefully observe the laws of Baal Tashkit. The truly pious, he said, quote, would not even destroy a grain of mustard, and they are saddened by any destruction they may see. If it is possible to save anything that is being spoiled, the pious spare no effort to do so, unquote. There's no need to dance on the head of a pin or to do Talmudic handstands to see in this a mandate to recycle. If the pious spare no effort to save anything that's being spoiled, they would recycle. And it follows that neither should we spare such effort. We, too, should recycle. Unfortunately, the whole notion of Baltashkit, of do not destroy, of prohibiting the gratuitous destruction of usable items, seems to be out the window in our modern age. The world at large is a throwaway society. In other words, it's a society built on consumerism, and it prefers to support the overproduction of items that either have short lives or are disposable, rather than the manufacture of products that are durable, repairable, and reusable. So let me restate this again. Judaism, from its inception, has insisted that we keep watch on the world around us and that we do whatever we can to preserve that world. It insists on this because from the Torah on, we're told that the earth belongs to God. Here's how God put it as he prepared to assign Israel its mission. God said to the people, Ki li kol ha'aretz, for all the earth is mine. It's that simple. And the role of all humans in that world is just as simple. We find it right at the beginning of the Torah in Genesis chapter 2. The human being, it says, was put on this planet, to till it and to tend it. In other words, to work it and improve it, not to destroy it. There's a Midrash written nearly 2,000 years ago that adds emphasis to this verse. Quote, In the hour when the Holy One created the first human being, God took the person before all the trees of the Garden of Eden and said to this person, See how fine and excellent my works are? Now, all that I've created, I created for you. Think upon this, and do not corrupt and desolate my world. For if you corrupt it, there is no one to set it right after you. Unquote. There is no one to set it right after you. The earth belongs to God. We're only his superintendents. Our job is to take care of the earth on behalf of the landlord. Another way the Torah makes this stewardship clear is in its requirement that even the land is entitled to a Shabbat of rest. Thus, the Torah tells us in Leviticus chapter 25, 
Says the Lord, quote, When you come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Shabbat to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruit. But in the seventh year shall be a Shabbat of rest to the land, a Shabbat for the Lord. You shall not sow your field, nor prune your vineyard, unquote. Then we have the Torah's requirement that there be a green space surrounding every walled city. It even lays out the measurements for this green space, about 1,000 square yards on each of the city's four sides. Remember that cities were a lot smaller in those days, and there were far fewer people. This was a large plot of land in those days. Larger measurements would be required today. The point, though, is that Torah laws such as this one prompted the sages to declare, quote, it is forbidden to live in a town in which there is no garden or greenery, unquote. This isn't some kind of throwaway statement. The sages were very serious about this ruling because it illustrates the importance in Judaism of the natural world, a world we're supposed to live in partnership with, not in opposition to. Consider what Trump tried to do to the Tongass National Forest in Alaska. There's one Torah law that's especially appropriate to discuss here. Among the environmental regulations that came under attack in the last four years are those rules requiring that there can be no construction or destruction or whatever on land or in water that would adversely affect the natural habitat of animals, birds, creepy crawly things, and even fish. Now let's examine a command from Leviticus. Here's what it says, quote, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall stay seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day on shall be acceptable as an offering to the Lord. However, no animal from the herd or from the flock shall be slaughtered on the same day with its young. Unquote. On the surface, this law says nothing about rainforests or natural habitats. But here's how Nachmanides, the Ramban, explained this law. The reason for it, he said, quote, is that the Torah does not permit us to destroy a species altogether. The person who kills the mother and the young in one day, it is regarded as though he has destroyed that species, unquote. The Torah's message is clear. The earth is the Lord's and all that's in it. As God's kingdom of priests and holy nation, we're his agents, meaning we have to set an example for everyone else. Not only must we thank God for his creation every day of our lives, but we must take the lead in making certain his creation is protected and treated with respect. That process of educating humanity, of course, is easier said than done. But done it must be, for we are Am Yisrael, the people of Israel. We are the people who stood before Sinai and were made God's Mamlakat Kohanim the Goy Kadosh, his kingdom of priests and holy nation. We were given the job to teach the world by our example how all people should live. For us, for the people of Israel, for Am Yisrael, that means following all of God's moral and ethical laws, not just the ritual ones, and not just the ones that are convenient or non-controversial or that don't make an impact on our wallets and pocketbooks or that don't interfere with our politics. Pray for our country and its new leaders and support them in their efforts to make our air more breathable, our water more drinkable, and our climate more sustainable. And remember, on Thursday, 
when you see a tree. Wish it a happy new year. This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmeyer. I hope you come back for my next podcast. And I'd like to hear what you have to say about this or my other podcasts. Go to www.shamai.org, 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 and email me, please. Shabbat Shalom, stay healthy, and stay safe.